and welcome to the Confluence Land Bridge at Fort Vancouver. I'm Colin Fogarty, Executive Director of Confluence. We're a donor-supported nonprofit that connects people to place through art and education. Thank you for downloading this podcast. This audio tour focuses on the second of six Confluence sites along the Columbia River system. We begin at the south end of the Land Bridge in Old Apple Tree Park. If you're listening to this on site, look for the welcome gate with two oars on top, the railroad to your right and Highway 14 to your left. While you get situated, I'll tell you about this tour. It takes about 15 minutes and is designed to be a leisurely walk over the bridge. Feel free to pause or fast forward, but it's structured so that you can just press play and listen. No need to worry about keeping up or pausing at specific spots. Just go at your own pace. Imagine yourself standing here more than 200 years ago on the banks of the Nichiwana, the big river, what we now call the Columbia. You would have encountered Chinook-speaking people in canoes and along the Klickitat Trail. Chinook people had a protocol for welcoming visitors ashore. This welcome gate at the Confluence Land Bridge mimics that welcome. It was designed by renowned Northwest artist Lillian Pitt, who is Wasco, Yakima, and Warm Springs. The posts are Port Orford Cedar, the hand-carved paddles are Western Red Cedar, and acknowledge the role of water travel among the Chinook. You can see in the paddles there are masks on either side. They're made of kiln-cast glass. The image is a Chinook woman, in honor of the significant role women played, not only in food gathering and preparation, but in the vital trade networks up and down the river. It was the women who negotiated deals. This was a trading area long before the Hudson's Bay Company was here. The columns on either side of the gate are volcanic basalt, an iconic rock from throughout the Northwest. Take a look at the paintings and engravings on the basalt. They mimic the symbols you see in petroglyphs and pictographs up and down the Columbia River system. It's important to note these and other images on the land bridge are not true to specific ancestors. Those images are sacred cultural knowledge reserved for tribes. Confluence projects like the Land Bridge are a collaboration of tribes and communities along the Columbia River system and celebrated artist Maya Lin. The project began in 2002, just before the Lewis and Clark Bicentennial. Tribal and community leaders along the Columbia River system recognized the need for a more inclusive story about the Lewis and Clark expedition, one that considered the expedition's effects on the land and the people living along their path, The idea is that Lewis and Clark did not discover the Northwest, but what they did do is take excellent notes about what they saw and who they met. So the expedition is a moment in recorded time that allows us to consider what things were like before their arrival, during their journey, all the way up until today, and what all of that means for us in the future. So with all that in mind, these tribal and community leaders asked Maya Lin to become involved. As you probably know, she shot to fame as a young student at Yale University when she won the juried competition for her design of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C. Since then, she's gone on to a successful career as the artist for the Civil Rights Memorial in Montgomery, Alabama, the Women's Table at Yale, and the Wave Field at Storm King Art Center in upstate New York. So why a land bridge? Well, for most of history, these planes were on the river. But about a hundred years ago, this place was cut off from the river, first by the railroad, and then later by Highway 14. Maya Lin's concept of a land bridge came from the long-standing need to reconnect this land to the river. 
but she had no background in bridge building. And so she turned to Seattle architect John Paul Jones, who also happens to be Cherokee and Choctaw. Among other projects, he's known as one of the architects behind the National Museum of the American Indian on the Mall in Washington, D.C. Along the path of the land bridge, you'll see images of distinct historical periods in this one place across time. Before European settlement, there were seasonal temporary shelters along the river. Indigenous people have been collecting food in this landscape in cycles for more than 10,000 years. By the 19th century, the Hudson's Bay Company made Fort Vancouver an economic hub in the fur trade. The village that sprung up here became one of the most ethnically diverse places west of the Mississippi. English, French-Canadian, Scottish, Irish, Hawaiian, Iroquois, and people from more than 30 different regional Native American groups lived and worked here. By the way, the boardwalk sections of the land bridge symbolized the inlet waterway that stretched to the village. That allowed canoes to land closer. As the Northwest fur trade flourished, in the 1840s, many people expected the Columbia River to become the boundary line between the United States and Canada. Instead, an international treaty in 1846 established that border at the 49th parallel, where it is now. It was after that treaty and the land acts that followed that so many Americans were eager to claim new homes in what are now the states of Oregon and Washington. By 1860, most traces of the Hudson's Bay Company fort had slipped away, and Vancouver Barracks was functioning as the center of the U.S. Army's military activity in the Pacific Northwest. Most tribal people were relocated to reservations. The Army occupied this site for more than 150 years. That's why, during World War I, a colossal spruce mill covered this landscape. Spruce is hard, but light, perfect for warplanes before aluminum became common. In the two years the mill operated, Northwest forests were denuded of old-growth spruce, and millions of board feet of it were barged, railed, or otherwise delivered to Vancouver barracks. During World War II, Henry Kaiser's shipyard constructed Liberty ships here, employing thousands of people, including many women. Beyond the walk of history on the land bridge, on either side is a series of planted terraces, drawing the original ecosystems of this site up and over the highway. Look also for the geometric patterns on the path. Those are inspired by indigenous basketry. The land bridge has three overlooks, each with its own theme, the river, the land, and the people. The tribes and bands who lived along the Columbia River before the time of Lewis and Clark were diverse and sophisticated. They had many languages and many different cultures. The language banner that wraps each one of the overlooks lists the names of many of those tribes and bands and their word for river, land, and people. Baskets play a prominent role in Northwest indigenous culture, and that's what inspired artist Lillian Pitt to design each overlook space as a spirit basket. Like the welcome gate, the images are inspired by petroglyphs and pictographs along the Columbia River system. The panels inside include images of indigenous canoe culture and animals. See if you can identify them. As you walk along the path, look for the channel where the wall meets the walkway. It's a little stream that fills a cistern underground, and that helps water the plants on and around the land bridge. This whole project has ethnobotany built in all over. Signs in the landscaping highlight native plants that still play a role in basketry, medicine, and food customs in traditional culture. You can actually hear references to this landscape in today's traffic reports. 
You know how Vancouver has Mill Plain and Fourth Plain Boulevards? There were actually five plains here that defined a unique prairie landscape. Now think about that. We're surrounded by forests on this side of the Cascade Mountains. But archaeologists have found pollen at this site that dates back 10,000 years that can only have come from a prairie grassland. What does that mean? Well, like the Willamette Valley, indigenous people burned this area for agriculture. It's just one example along the Columbia River system that shows how history surrounds us, always. The land bridge is the second of six confluence sites that stretch across 438 miles. The projects begin where Lewis and Clark ended their journey, where the Columbia River meets the Pacific Ocean. Cape Disappointment State Park includes several artworks built into the landscape, including a basalt fish cleaning table. The third confluence site, east of the land bridge, is at the Sandy River Delta near Troutdale, Oregon. At the end of a 1.2-mile path, Maya Lynn designed a bird blind at the confluence of the Sandy and Columbia Rivers. Moving farther east, the fourth confluence site is a series of story circles at Sacagawea State Park in Pasco, Washington. Confluence's fifth and easternmost project is a listening circle at Chief Timothy Park near Clarkston, Washington. That's along the Snake River. The sixth and final confluence project will go in at Celilo Park near the Dalles, Oregon. It's where the mighty roar of Celilo Falls fell silent in 1957 because they were flooded by the Dalles Dam. The project is not yet complete, but when it's done, it will reconnect people to this place that's so significant culturally, historically, and environmentally. If you keep walking down the land bridge path, feel free to explore the village site and, of course, the reconstructed fort. Thank you so much for listening to this audio tour. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out more about Confluence and the other five sites, check out our website, confluenceproject.org. Remember, Confluence is a donor-supported nonprofit. We can only build these sites and do this work because of the generous support from the Friends of Confluence, and that's you. Confluence belongs to us all. Join us today. Thank you. Thank you.